Amen. A few days ago, I noticed on social media that several friends of mine who are pastors had posted a, 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 a thing that was saying, uh, how well do you know your pastor? <laughs> What's a phrase he often uses while he's preaching? And so I posted it. I thought it would be interesting. I should have saved myself the pain. Do I really say, here's the thing? Do I say that a lot? <laughs> I'm going to be afraid to say a word after this, you know that? Right? Uh, I have three points. Have I ever said that? Okay. In conclusion. Yeah, I say that multiple times every sermon, right? I used to have hair. Okay. If you're new here, this is as good as it gets. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm out of time, so I guess I'll wrap this up next week. <laughs> I guess there's only one person in this church who tells the truth. <laughs> All right. We take what we do seriously, but we have fun doing it. All right. And there were a whole bunch of others um, ending on a more positive note. Um, I think I admit I have said this regularly. God's got this. And God's got you. And the other one I'll admit to is the best is yet to come. That's right. Of course, there was one person who commented that I say regularly, but I didn't. I just said it last week. I said, you did this to me. If you weren't here, we won't go into that. All right, but anyway, it is a terrific privilege, and I love, I love the opportunity to share God's Word with God's people and to share God's Word with those who are looking to really know God more or to know Him better, and uh, that's so important. And one of the things we are doing during this fall as a church is we are really focusing on the things that are important that we believe. And that is why during the week we are offering three opportunities for a foundations class, Monday nights on Zoom, Tuesday mornings here in person, Wednesday nights here in person. It's been encouraging to see over 100 folks every week who participate in that. And uh, we, want, we want you to feel confident in the things that you believe for yourself. And then also we want you to be in a good place where you can explain at times to people what you believe and why. So, so that's, that is an ongoing thing and we'll be continuing it this week. And then in parallel with that on Sunday mornings, I'm teaching a series that I'm calling Absolutes. Absolutes. These are the things that we believe, and they are not negotiable. They are absolutes for us. I talked a couple of weeks ago about what we believe about the Bible. Last Sunday, I talked about some things that we believe about God. And this Sunday, I want to talk about what we believe about salvation. 
And what I'm doing for this series is I'm using the uh, outline of our statement of beliefs, which is on our church website. If you often wonder, well, what exactly do, does the church believe? Well, you go to genesisli.com, you hit on the tab that says about us, and then there is a link there that says what we believe. And in that, we outline what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God, what we believe about salvation, next week, what we believe about Jesus. Now, there is a very wordy, there's a very wordy paragraph for each of these on the website. Um, I'm going to read you what it says on our website about salvation, and then I'm going to break it down into three points. <laughs> okay, so, so what we believe about salvation. The central purpose of God's revelation in Scripture is to call all people into fellowship with Himself. Originally created to have fellowship with God, man defied God, choosing to go his own way, and alienated himself from God, and suffered the corruption of his nature, rendering him unable to please God. The fall took place at the beginning of human history, and all individuals since have suffered these consequences and are thus in need of the saving grace of God. The salvation of mankind is then wholly a work of God's free grace, not the result in whole or in part of human works or goodness, and must be personally appropriated by faith and repentance. When God has begun a saving work in the heart of any person, He gives assurance in His Word that He will continue performing it until the day of its full consummation." Okay, which basically says this, sin divides, but God provides and then God glorifies. Sin separates us from God. God provides a way of reconciliation, and then God will take those who are His through this life and into eternity. So that's basically sort of where we're at today. And just recognizing the fact that, that right from the beginning there of human history, that sin divided, originally created to have fellowship with God, uh, man defied God, choosing to go his own way, and alienated himself from God, and suffered the consequences. We're all familiar to one degree or other with the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So here they are in the perfection of God's creation, because God, you know, the Bible says God looked at everything He created and said it's very good. So creation was absolutely perfect. It was, it was outstanding. Every aspect was good. And here they are, Adam and Eve are given their instructions, and God says, you know what, you can do whatever you want. You've got all the best of fruit and everything else around you, um, but there's one tree you must not eat the fruit from. You know the story, right? It's kind of like when you walk past something that says wet paint, right? And you've got to check it. You've got to check it. Is it or isn't it? 
There's something inbuilt in human nature. And this was the problem right at the beginning. There's something inbuilt in human nature that when somebody says, don't, that's the thing we want to do, right? Right? It's like there's that kind of little thing in us that takes us in that direction. It's called original sin. But that's what it is. And, and that's what happened, what, what happened in the Garden of Eden. Now, let me make this clear. You know, it's, you know the deal. Uh, Satan appeared there as a serpent and, and said to Eve, hey, really, you know, you ought to eat this. This is delicious. And, and it, it, it only says fruit in the Bible, but we've generally said, thought it was an apple. So, so Eve takes the apple. Eve eats the apple. And, and, and Adam does too. And God's so ticked off with them for eating the apple, he throws them out of the Garden of Eden. It's like, really? For an apple? Really? No, no, it wasn't actually, it wasn't all about the apple itself. There's far more to this picture. Here's what the serpent said to Eve in Genesis 3 and verse 5. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything ranging all the way from good till evil. Here's how the devil sells it. It's not like, I got good apples here. That's not it. The way he sells it is, if you eat this apple, you don't need God anymore, because you're going to be like God. You're going to know everything. You're going to be able to discern between good and evil. And, and, and basically, you're, you're going to be it. God says, you can't do this. You eat from this. You're going to be like God. You've got it. That was the problem of the Garden of Eden. The problem of the Garden of Eden was Adam and Eve opted for replacing God with themselves. We want to be like God. We want to call the shots. We want to do our thing. And you know, sin isn't just about doing the wrong thing. It's about exalting ourselves above God. It isn't the issue. It's the attitude behind it. It's not the action. It's what triggers that action. And what triggers the action of sin is, I'll do what I want to do. And when we put ourselves in that position where we say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and reduce what God says to a secondary position, what we have actually done is we have said, I'm above God. Or we've said, basically, I'm God as far as I'm concerned because I say what goes. That's why sin separates. And that was the pattern right through human history. Hey, when Jesus was, was, had been arrested, the night he was arrested, um, when he was brought out before all the mob of the people and, and his release was something that was offered to them, the, the, one of their responses was this. This is, this is this is what they said. We will not have this man to rule over us. That's what sin does. Sin says, God doesn't tell me what to do. I decide what to do. Sin says, I don't do it God's way. I'm going to do it my way. And so it separates and divides us from God. 
There, there's an interesting passage in the 14th chapter of the prophecy of Isaiah. And initially, these words were written. They were written at a time when the Babylonian Empire had destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the people of God. And they're written and they're initially addressed to the king of Babylon. And, and here's what it says, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. God is saying to the king of Babylon there, you said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set my throne above God's throne. And God said, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'm going to bring you down. But, but that passage also is, has been recognized by Bible scholars over centuries uh, as, as having a, a, another significance. And prophetic writings in Scripture are often um, have multiple interpretations that are accurate, that are still true. And that is not only is it talking about the king of Babylon, but, but in some translations there where it refers to, to, to the morning star, it is actually translated Lucifer. And uh, a lot of Bible teachers think that this is a, a reference to basically where the devil like come from, you know. And, and basically, he was one of the leading angels who said, I'm going to ascend on high. I'm going to make my throne above God's throne. I'm going to be the key man here. And God threw him out of heaven and said, no, you're not. But you were brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Sin is rebellion that sets people up above God. And here's what happens then. Isaiah 59, verse 2. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear you. And in Isaiah 53, in verse 6, it says this. It says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That, and, and that's fact, isn't it? That's the path we all took in life, without, without exception. We came to points where we said, no, yeah, I'm not going to do that thing. I'm going to do my thing. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way. And basically get to a place where, like, you know, I can... I, I'm the one who will make the cause for my life. It's like, you know, which separates us from God. Because in, uh, in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1 and verse 13, it says this about God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Sin separates us from God. We have all been down that road. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember, at that time, you were separate from Christ, without hope, and without God in the world. Sin divides. So, it's not incidental because it separates us from God. But while sin divides us from God, God provides 
a way of reconciliation. So what we say in that statement of our beliefs is that the salvation of mankind is wholly a work of God's free grace. Not the result in whole or in part of human works or goodness must be personally appropriated by repentance and faith. How could lost mankind be reconciled to God? He couldn't be because sin can't stand in God's presence. It took an incredible plan on God's part. And you know what that was. God sent His Son into this earth to take the punishment for our sins so that believing Him, we could be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life. Salvation is wholly a work of God's free grace. I'm gonna say that again. Salvation is wholly a work of God's free grace. We come back to this regularly. And it's important that we do, because some of us, for some of us, we forget about it, and for many of us, our default setting takes us back into a position where we feel we've got to earn God's favor. And, the, the, and, and then as we struggle to earn God's favor, we end up feeling hopeless and guilty. As many of you know, when we started our church, we started, we started with the name Grace Church. And Many of you have heard me tell this story before. That was absolutely by design. This week I came across an advert that we ran in the Penny Saver and the Yankee Trader to, to advertise the fact we were starting the church. It was a pretty scary looking advert, but anyway, um, we've evolved. Um, but I was interested, there was a, a, a pastor from Nassau County um, commented on, I put it on Instagram, and. He, he commented on it and said, I've often wondered about the change in name for a church. And I said, well, what we started is Grace Church. And then after we'd been worshiping in a movie theater for a little while, we took the tagline, Grace Church, the church at the movies. And then as we spent a number of years, 10 in total, worshiping in movie theaters, we kind of flipped it and adopted Church at the Movies with Grace Church as the tagline, and kind of Grace Church slipped out of use, and we kept using Church at the Movies. And then we moved out of the movie theater. So we're not Church at the Movies anymore, and uh, we came to a fresh start, and we adopted the name Genesis because Genesis is a place of new beginnings. And moving into this building was a new beginning for our church, but this place and this church family has been a place of new beginnings for hundreds of people who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so Genesis is, is really suitable. And, and he, he, he said, oh, thanks for explaining that. I say it's so logical now. And he said, and thank you for being the original OG of church planters on Long Island. Now, if you were born in my era, you may not totally understand some of the vocabulary of 2022. I've got no idea what OG meant. So my mind went to old goat. No, it did. It, 
it did, you know, not in a nasty way, but I thought it was a compliment. You're the original old goat to church planting. It's like, yeah, that's good. So I turned, I turned to one of the resources where I, I try to find out what's happening in the world nowadays to the Urban Dictionary. And I went to the Urban Dictionary and it informed me that OG means original gangster. So, there you go. I think I'll put those letters after my name from now on. Uh, but but, but, but here's, here's the thing. When I, thought about, when I thought about that, we were. When we started our church, nobody else was doing some of the things that we were doing. We were originals. Nobody else was doing. There wasn't... Now, some of you are going to find this hard to believe. There wasn't a single church that I know of on Long Island that had a cafe. I mean, really? Take coffee into the sanctuary? My Lord. Right? You know, there weren't many pastors who didn't cling to titles. You know, you all know I don't really care for being addressed as pastor. Because it's like, let's make this a place where we're all real. We're just ordinary people. None of us have got it all together. We're all on the same journey, and we are just helping each other to take the next step forward. My function's different than other people's functions. Doesn't make me better, doesn't make me any higher than anybody else is. So I don't do titles. But that wasn't a general thing at that time in this area. I, and there were a number of other things about how we did church, but it wasn't so much about the things we did that were different. You see, when we started this church, I'd been pastoring for 28 years. And in those 28 years, I had heard so many preachers saying to folks, well, you know, you'd better be careful because you might think you're a believer or you might say, well, I've been saved all these years, but the fact is, you know what? You're only in church about once a month. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out for you. Or, or, you know what, you think you're going to get to heaven and you hardly ever open your Bible? And a hundred other things I'd hear people saying. And it's like, you, you know what, it's kind of undermining people's faith in Christ because it's actually saying to people, there are a bunch of other things you've got to do to make sure your salvation happens. And I'd come to the point where, you know, in my life, I, I, I would call it a Popeye moment. You youngsters got no clue what I'm talking about, but a lot of you others do, right? I stand as much as I can stand till I can't stand no more. It's like, it's like I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And we established Grace Church. The name was by design to make very, very clear the fact the Bible from beginning to end tells us we are hopelessly separated from God by sin and there is no way for us except one way that God has provided by His grace. And the grace of God will forgive us, will bring us into His family, will establish us as His children, will give us eternal life, and will take us to heaven one day as well. And 
And I don't have to live nervously wondering if I'm good enough to make it. I'm not good enough to make it. That's why God sent Jesus. And you're not good enough to make it. That's why we need a Savior. But the Savior's work is complete. I am not saved by what I do. I am not saved by what I can accomplish. I am saved for one simple reason. Jesus paid the debt for all my sin. And believing Him, I have received the gift of eternal life. That's why our statement of faith says we believe the salvation of mankind is wholly a work of God's free grace, not the result in part, in whole or in part of human works or goodness. Nothing to do with that. It's all by grace. But the fact is, it's easy to slip back into Oh, I've got to keep pleasing God. Now, some of you are going to pick up what I'm saying now and get it totally misconstrued, and that's okay. It never happened before, but... <laughs> Prime example of that was the, 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 the Galatian churches in, in the New Testament, where many of them have been established by the Apostle Paul. He'd laid an absolutely brilliant foundation and, but, but after a little while, something went wrong there. And he writes this in Galatians 1. He says, I can't believe your fickleness, how easily you've turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ, by embracing a variant message. It's not a minor variation, you know. It's completely other. An alien message, a no message, a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. And what was happening amongst the Galatian believers was if there were people with, um, there were people coming to faith in Christ who, who did not come out of the Jewish faith. And the early church in its original days was, was all made up of, of, of uh, Jewish believers because it started in Jerusalem. And uh, when others came to put their faith in Christ, in some of the Galatian churches, there were people saying, it's great you're a follower of Jesus, but now you've got to observe all the Judaism laws. And now you've got to do this. And if they were Gentiles, the one thing that was important that they in insisted was, was you, as a Gentile, if you're going to be a believer in Christ, you've got to be circumcised because all Jewish people were circumcised. And, and they put all kinds of restrictions among them. And Paul writes to them in Galatians to just, you know, try to set the record straight. He said, you know, this isn't a, if, if you add anything to the gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. It's as easy as that. So you may say, well, it's only, you know, it's slightly different. No, no, no. Slightly different isn't the real thing. And he says to them, chapter 5 and verse 1, Christ has set us free to live a free life. I don't need to live my life looking over my shoulder afraid God's going to get rid of me one day. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I'm emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. If you need anything else, you're saying what Jesus did was not enough. 
Listen, the salvation of mankind is not the result in whole or in part of human works or goodness. Here it's clearly explained in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, a man says to the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? And, and Paul replies, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And if you're here this morning looking for a real relationship with God and wondering how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen and what you need to do to make it happen, I, I want to tell you this. Here's what you've got to do to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, well, don't I have to do this and do that? Do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I thought I need, no, no, no. Just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is so desperate for us to be his children that he made it as easy as he possibly could. Why on earth do we tend to complicate it? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you're here with us and you, you know, maybe your first time here, you may have been worshiping with us for some time, but you know what? You haven't quite made the connection with, with you and God yet. I want to tell you, it's, it's, it's real simple. The danger is you're looking for something more complicated. It's real simple. You say to the Lord, Lord, I trust you as my Savior for my salvation. Bible speaks about repenting and receiving forgiveness. God, I'm sorry I went my own way. Please forgive me. Give me the gift of eternal life. That's it. That's it. That's it. Say, that's too simple. Sorry. That's all I got. That's all I got because that's what the Bible says. God made it as easy as he possibly could by making it as difficult as it could ever be for himself. While sin divides us from God, God provides the answer. I read a story, and of course it wasn't true. Um, a, man, a, a man dies and he goes to heaven and Peter meets him and the guy says, well, are you going to let me in? He said, oh, we got a very simple system here. Um, you tell me some reasons I should let you in and I'll give you a points value for each of your reasons. And if you hit 100 points, you come in. So the guy said, okay, sounds fair. Um, I was married for 50 years, was totally faithful to one woman for 50 years, never contemplated being unfaithful. Peter said, that is so commendable. That's two points. Guy said, I said, what the heck? Yeah, it's two points. What else you got? So the guy said, well, I was a part of my church for decades. I gave regularly. I served in every aspect probably of the church's life. I did everything I could to encourage the pastor. And uh, you, know, you know what? Everybody in the church knew me. And I was, I was really totally sold out to my church. Peter said, that's fantastic. Here's a point. <laughs> well, I got concerned about the needy people in our community. And, and a number of years ago, I actually started a, a, an outreach, a soup kitchen to, to the people that were in need. And uh, I, I got a, a number of folks to help me. And, and, and we've been out there in all weathers serving the soup kitchen. And Peter said, that's fantastic, two points. 
The guy said, but I've given you my best shot and I've only got five. He said, the only way anybody will ever get to heaven by the sound of it is by the grace of God. Peter said, right, <laughs> you nailed it. You finally got it. That's how we get to heaven, by the grace of God. It isn't by what we do. It isn't by who we are. It's by what Jesus has done and it's by who Jesus is. Christ is my savior, so heaven is assured. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this, In him that is in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. That's great. Now I'm going to rush on because I don't want this Sunday to be a Sunday where I say, looks like that's all I've got time for. I'll complete it next week. So let me just, let me just go on because this is an important thing to grasp as well. God provides the way of salvation. All you have to do is trust Him. But God not only provides, God glorifies. Here's the statement we've got in our, in our statement of faith. When God has begun a saving work in the heart of any person, He gives assurance in His Word that He will continue performing it until the day of its full consummation. When you trust Christ as your Savior, the fact is, he is going to continue guiding you, leading you, working in you until the day when you see Him. Now, among the really well-known verses of the Bible, a lot of you would know Romans 8.28. You might not recognize that reference, but if I say that it starts by saying, we know that all things, you know how that works, right? All things work together for good to those who love God. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. I want you just to remember that verse for a moment. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Because that verse doesn't stand in glorious isolation towards the end of Romans 8. Starts there with this thought. We know that all things work together to good for good to those who love God. And, and then the next verse goes on and says, for... So how do we know that all things work together? For, because, verse 29, those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. All right? We know that all things work together for good because those that God knew, you know, before time were going to be His children, He planned that they would become like Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I'm not like Jesus yet. There are bits that shine through occasionally, but I couldn't say, I am Christ-like. I do some Christ-like things at times. I have some Christ-like thoughts at times. Are you with me? You see where I'm going, right? I can't say, I am Christ-like here today. But here's what the Bible says. The people God knew were going to be His he planned that they would become like Jesus. When am I going to become like Jesus? First John tells us this, I'll become like him when I see him. So those who planned were going to be saved, he was planning that they would see Jesus one day. That's how I know that all things work together for good. The next verse. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, 
He also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Let, let me, I haven't got a long time to go into this, but let me just go, go into this. I don't fully understand how it works, but all I know this is the Bible talks very clearly about how God chose us, uh, his family. It says he chose us before the foundation of the earth. And you thought you were here by chance. You thought a bunch of events had brought you to a place where you came into the kingdom of God. No, you didn't. God determined before you were born that you were going to be His. Those He predestined then that He decided were going to be His, it says He also called. So those He predestined, He called. So there came a point in our lives, and we'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks' time, there came a point in our life where we became kind of sensitive to the voice of God within us and of the Spirit of God drawing us towards God. Those He predestined, He called. And then when He started to call us, the next step was those He called, He justified. Justified basically means He, 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 made, he made not guilty. Why? Because we trusted Christ as our Savior. We received God's forgiveness. So God planned that we would be His. He called us. He justified us. And those He justified, He also glorified. So here's the deal. The God who planned that you would be His, guided things so that you would hear His voice. You came to the place where God forgave your sin, and then God is leading you to a place where you are going to be glorified. You're going to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That is to say, you are going to be Christ-like, and that happens when we see Jesus. Everybody God planned would be His. He planned that they would go to heaven. I'm rushing this. I hope you're getting the gist of it. I hope you're getting the gist of it. I watched a bit of baseball last night. I, I didn't watch a lot because all the good teams are out of it already. But I watched, <laughs> I, I watched a bit of baseball last night, and I, I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how that uh, Mariners game was going, right? Right? Can you believe it? Go, you go into the 16th inning, uh, sorry, the 18th inning, with no, nobody scored yet. It's like, dear Lord. And then, I'm sorry, I mean, I, got, I, I don't even know who's on the Mariners team, but you got to feel for them, right? Then, then, so Houston hits the one home run there in the top of the 18th inning, and it's all over. They worked that hard for hours and hours and hours and hours. They, they experienced that tension all the way through, and then suddenly it's over. I want to tell you this. The God who saved you isn't going to keep you going so long and then one day going to drop you. You're not going to find out one day, oh, after all that, I didn't make the grade. The God who, the God who predestined you, who called you, who justified you, is the God who will also glorify you. So, so some folks who can't grasp this, and you know what, it, it throws up a million questions, but, but when it comes to it, if I can't fully understand something the Bible says, I will always defer to the Bible. I'm not going to say, well, I, I can't get that. No, that can't be. No, I might not be able to fully grasp every nuance of this, but if this is the way God works, it's the way God works. So you may say, well, does that mean then if, you're, if you give your life to Christ, you can do whatever you want? Stop talking nonsense. 
If you give your life to Christ, you start to want what He wants. You do. Oh, there's a battle at times, but deep down inside, you want what He wants. Well, what if somebody just turns away from God and, and, and goes off on their own way? Are they still going to get to heaven? You know what? People can wander, and they wander for a million different reasons. But it doesn't mean to say that in the heart somewhere there isn't still that God awareness and that God connection. Or else you might say, well, what if I mess up the plans that God's got for me? Lady, you're not that good. You're not that good. What if I mess up the plans God's got for me? Wait a second. Just think through what you just said. What if I mess up God's plans? You're not that good. You're not that good. You can't mess up God's plans for you. What God planned for you is going to happen. Those who He predestined, he called, He justified, and He will glorify. This, there, there, I better finish. Philippians 1 verse 6. <laughs> Philippians 1 6. I love this. Here's the Apostle Paul writing. And uh, I tell you, I'm happy to share these words because this is what I believe too. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day that Jesus Christ appears. The God who began His work in us, He will keep at it and He will bring it to a flourishing finish the day when we see Jesus. The point is this. What we believe about salvation is that it's all from God and it is complete in Him. And if you're here today and you've never entered into that kind of relationship with God, if you're still looking for God and looking for a real connection with God, I want to tell you maybe you're just looking beyond what God tried to make so obvious that to everyone who received Jesus, He gave the right to become a child of God. And what you need to do today is simply recognize Christ as the Savior who died for you and own Him as your Lord. And you receive eternal life. Too easy? Yeah, God made it easy for a reason. Because He wants you to be His. Let's pray together.